when they warm up. I'm looking who's a better setter or the not so good setter. I'm looking for arm swing tendencies. You know, a lot of players are inside out, outside in. So if the ball, so if I'm a right side player and the ball gets all the way to my right shoulder, a lot of players are going to take that back angle. And then if I the ball body. Side, yeah, then they're going to go back to the line. So I'm just kind of looking for those tendencies where the ball's at on their body versus the swing that they go to. Okay. Yeah. I guess if somebody's trying to show off, I think a lot of people try to show off and warm ups, right? Or like they, they'll, they'll try to hit hard rather than cueing in their, their weakest right. swings. Right. So you might be able to say like, where does he look really good? Or where does she look really good? That's probably what she's going to want to hit when things get down to the wire. Yes, definitely. Then at least you could get a look at what it looks like when they do go for that shot, you know, so you get those little subliminal messages that might appear for you later. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick and Today, we're going to have a really, really interesting conversation, and I think you guys are lucky to be listening right now because we get to learn from an actual an actual AVP champion, which is sick. We talked a little bit off camera about different types of leadership roles and how she's currently molding her own leadership role and trying to figure out what that looks like for her, and I think we're going to get into a little bit of arm swing mechanics because uh, both me and our guest today have had pretty interesting journeys along the arm swing route and uh, the science of it. More and more articles are coming out. They're they're being studied and people are revamping the way actually swing at a volleyball. So we want to talk about that and dive into anything and everything AVP, FIVB, training, leadership, and mechanics. So you guys are lucky. I'm excited. And we are going to talk to you today. AVP champion, it gets to live next to your name forever. How sick is that? Emily Stockman. What's up, Emily? (laughs) Hi. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Good. We're going to have a good talk. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Winning your first AVP. What? Here's here's the question that I always like uh, to ask. I asked Casey Patterson this once. For the final point, mm-hmm. if you can go back to thinking, you know, we're in that match and you're about to get AVP champion, right? Were you serving or receiving? Let's let's walk through it. Serving. I was actually serving. Yeah. You were the server. Score? Yeah. Do you remember? I don't. It was during, pretty sure it was AVP when they had the free scoring though. Well, more, a little more freedom. For honestly, sure. like, like there's a little less pressure there because you're yeah. like, all right, well, if I miss this, I can go for it. If I miss it, we still got some chances. Yeah. Were you up big? We were up pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So what was going through your mind when you're like, I mean, is it at that point, is it just don't F it up? You know, (laughs) (laughs) like you got this in the bag, like just, just walk it in, just, just, just go to your home. Or were you already fired up or were you focused more like on technique positioning things, things that you had to get done from a technical or strategical standpoint? I think from a strategical standpoint, for sure, we had a really good game plan going in. So it was more about strategic serving and playing good defense. I guess I'm pretty sure we were up by quite a bit. So it wasn't like a do or die moment. And I'm somebody that tends to like at the end of matches want to get it done fast. So I think in my head, I was just like, okay, slow it down. We don't have to finish right now. Just like play steady like we have been the entire match. Okay. So more like trying to calm yourself or slow yourself than actually get hyped or do anything extra. Yes. Definitely needed a 
call me and head and <laughs> there and <laughs> not get too excited because it definitely wasn't over. And yeah. there have been previous matches that I had lost when I was up 2015 with the freeze. I yeah. fell victim to a few rough freeze yeah. matches. And yeah, I mean, we've both and we've all fallen victim to a lot of end of games, turns, everything. You know, just this weekend, right. I was playing against Evan, Evan, Corey, and Logan. Logan, like, lived with me. They, they both coach our camps. And so it's like oh, good nice. buddies, but it's still competition. Yeah. You know, you want to take them out. Oh. Played a clean match all the way through, like, really good volleyball and then they started serving me at we were up 13 12 okay get into a point like a good rally we're about to go to 14 12 like i got touched for the first time in a while during that match and then it turned mm -hmm. into a rally then we had an open net swing dj's about to swing and a ball rolls on the court from the other court oh, and it's no. like that was 14 12 but okay let's move on dude oh, again yeah. yeah and then three mm -hmm. points in a row just let up and uh, they mm. took it 15-13, and I was just more frustrated than I've been in a very, very long time to play good volleyball, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. just comes down a couple points at the end when my mentality didn't change. And then you wonder, should it change? Like right at right. the end, you know, like, all right, right. I've, I've been doing something that works. So do I keep driving on this thing that works at the end of the game or have they adapted? I mean, I hit like 20 high lines, like through, mm -hmm. the, through the match, just kept going back to the well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then it was still open. Logan goes and he reaches as high as he can. Like if I literally hit it, his face would have no problem. Um, yeah. But he reached above the top of the antenna and got those touches. Dang. It's like, shoot, should I have adjusted before he did? I know. Hard moments. I think until they stop you twice in a row to not adjust. Like it's been working. And until they make that chess move, then you have to make yours. But yeah, those are hard moments. Um, and looking back is harder yeah. than probably playing it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You want to like forget it, you know, don't yeah. try to figure out what you should do. And, and honestly, I would go back to it because the shots were open. I would have just hit yeah. half, inch, half inch higher. Yeah. It's always. I, that's what I'm, I'm telling the, the players in our program. We have like an online course where we, we meet with them twice a week. We review mm -hmm. their film and their techniques and it's, awesome. it's so much fun, but we focused on that this last week because mm -hmm. I saw somebody ace somebody twice and then the next serve went to the partner and I was like, why, you right. know? <laughs> <laughs> why did this happen? You know, right. like, and the, the lesson from last week's meeting was, Hey, you just go back to the well until it runs dry. Like you don't, right. the thing that I pick is a, a, you have two buttons, right? One of them keeps giving you money. You know, there's like a two, a green one and a yellow one. And you, yeah. you press the green one and it gives you a hundred bucks. Do you risk touching the yellow one thinking that it might shut off the green button forever? Right. Or, or do you just keep taking your hundred dollar bills by pressing the green button? Like don't <laughs> go messing with the yellow button thinking it might give you a thousand dollar bill. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'll I'm take the money while I can get it until yeah it's not giving me money anymore yeah. and then I'll I'll try something else. Yeah, exactly. It's uh I think that's one of the most fun things with beach volleyball coming from indoor is just that chess game and learning as you're going. You know, my, our coach always says like until they do something clean two maybe three times in a row, you don't change it. Like you don't change your defense until they beat it clean, right? And that's not to say like they do something and I'm the one that shanks the dig. That's not a clean side out, you mm. know, or that's not a clean play by them. So yeah, the chess game inside of the volleyball game is what I think is super fun. 
And just like, yeah, it helps me think about those things as opposed to like, oh, I just shanked a ball or I'm not playing well. It's like, but what are they doing? What's working well? How can we stop that? So it's tough because even so long ago when when I got to, and maybe when, when you got to AVP, it was like, you have to throw changes to keep them off balance. Everybody talks about like keeping them off balance, keeping them off balance. Mm-hmm. And recently I just switched to vanilla. Like this works, keep doing it. And right. some people have terrific shots or they're very good at one specific swing and just keep going back to that because that's your strength. And if they're not stopping your best swing, well, like why would you ever stop it? Yeah, exactly. Right. But do you, do you ever find any moments where that I have to change to keep them off balance or I don't want them to get too used to it? Do you still ever implement that just just to keep things changing or to keep somebody from getting too used to a certain serve or, or getting accustomed to it? I think serving wise, I would say we probably mix it up more often than not to keep them off balance, but it's not necessarily serving a different person. It might be serving the same spot from a different location. From a different location. So instead of changing like where you serve, you're saying, oh, let's just throw a different angle at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we kind of do it that way as opposed to like, oh, we just, you know, ace this person twice. Let's throw one at the partner and see if she's involved. We don't necessarily do that. It's just, yeah, like how can we keep this person uncomfortable? We don't want them to get comfortable. But if they're really struggling serving, you know, a line to line, then we'll keep that going for a while. So it just kind of, it depends on the player and it depends on the situation. It's never going to be the same in every match. Yeah. It's weird how some people adjust. And then, you know, those players that you can kind of almost put to sleep and then like, make sure you hit them with a quick serve. I I think some people, Theo a couple of times, I'm not saying that like I have a a winning record against Theo, but I've I've got them a couple of times where serve the other partner, serve the partner, serve the partner. But literally I'm talking like a whole game. You know, right. it's not like, oh, we served this person three times. So now Theo's asleep and we can we can get him on one. It's like, right. no, you need to be 17, 18 <laughs> yeah. before he thinks he's not getting served. And right. then if you serve that other person to keep them off balance, it's got to be something that jumps on them and surprises them. So if you kind of like yeah. loop it to the other person, they have that split second to wake up and, and, and set their platform and get their technique. Absolutely. You know, yeah. so if you just throw that mix and like fire it, don't just give one to the other team, like catch them, yeah. surprise and rush them on the serve. I, that's how I think about it anyway. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And maybe even a middle serve and make them actually think about it. Different stuff like that. So good. Do you have a way that you open games that is, you know, like you always open a game a certain way. Like, is it a short serve, a middle serve without giving away? I don't think any AVP players listen to my podcast, so we'll be fine. <laughs> let's let's say it like this. If if you were to coach a double A player, right? Mm-hmm. Would you tell them to open the serve with the strategy, like open the game with the strategy they picked? Or are you one of the people that say like, always serve middle at the beginning of the game because everybody's kind of a little shaky and wondering what you're going to do. I would say I'm very strategic about it. And Mm -hmm. again, just depends on who we're playing, what the situation is. Yeah. I try not to be a specific way when I start the match, you know, I don't want to go to one swing or one serve. I pay attention to our scouting report and kind of go from there. What would you, if you know, you you play a lot of world tour as well. So Mm -hmm. When you come up against a team that you literally have no scouting report, a lot of matches that that some people play, especially in the beginning of their career, you know, you're coming up against a team, you know anything about these guys? Not a thing. Okay, what do we do? Do you study them 
during warmups or do you, do you have a process for feeling somebody out or do you run like a certain mm -hmm. couple of serves to say, uh, this is how we're going to discover what they like to do or what they are doing? Yeah, I definitely pay attention to their warmups, try to just get their tendencies or look at what their swings look like. So I pay attention to that a lot. And then serving wise. What oh. specifically are you looking for when they warm up? When they warm up, I'm looking who's a better setter or who's mm. the not so good setter. I'm looking for arm swing tendencies. You know, a lot of players are inside out, outside in. So if the ball, so if I'm a right side player and the ball gets all the way to my right shoulder, a lot of players are going to take that back angle. And then if I the ball body. Side, yeah, then they're going to go back to the line. So I'm just kind of looking for those tendencies where the ball's at on their body versus the swing that they go to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if somebody's trying to show off, I think a lot of people try to show off in warmups, right? Or like they, they'll, they'll try to hit hard rather than cueing in their, their weakest right. swings. Right. For sure. So you might be able to say like, where does he look really good? Or where does she look really good? That's right. probably what she's going to want to hit when things get down to the wire. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And then at least you could get a look at what it looks like when they do go for that shot. You know, so you yeah. get those little subliminal yep. messages that might appear for you later. Yeah. And then depending on where the ball is on their body, it's like, then we can kind of determine, do we want to keep them to their line and force them to kind of hit that shot? Or do we want to move them, serve them, you know, to their inside seam, have them come out of the middle, you know, stuff like that, that we're looking what, for. What would you see from somebody in warmups? Because I, I want to try to break this down for somebody who's... Yeah you know, thrown down in CBVA double A's. What would you see in warmup that says uh, we should serve this person middle if or vice they, versa to sideline? If their favorite swing is cross court or you can see that's kind of their go-to, I would bring a middle to take that away from them and make them a little more uncomfortable because they don't have as much court to hit into. Okay. Cause they're closer to the sideline. They have yeah. like less, less of the angle and it's, yep. and they're closer to the end line actually. So there's, truly less space now in the right, right okay so a strong cross court hitter somebody likes to pile into that try to work them into the middle so that they have a smaller hitting area yes okay. yeah and then if you know a smaller player or a player that's very shooty i'd probably like to keep them more at the pin because once really? they come out of the middle they just have they have the short you know they have short sidelines they have deep angles they have deep corners i think those are a little tougher to defend I hate uh, serving cut shotters wide. I'm like, yeah. I just never want to give them that space. But right. if they're like poke over the block, shooting high line over the block, if they're if they're looking for the defender, right. then then yeah, I'm probably more comfortable because it's weird when you see a ball hit away from you. Like when somebody hits out of the middle, you're defending yeah. them the diagonal and they hit a high line, like back to the line, mm -hmm. the ball messes you up mentally because it's moving away. So you almost right. give up on it quicker because like mm -hmm. uh, it's leaving me instead of I'm approaching it. Yeah. And I think it's, you have to either pick a side early, which kind of sucks as a defender. Cause you're like, feel like you're giving up a lot of court yeah. or you kind of go eye formation and hold hoping that they don't come in swinging because <laughs> you're not going to get like, like you're literally playing for shots only. Yeah. That's what in warmups, that's kind of what we're looking for and figuring out how we want to serve the team and what we think they're going to do. And again, it's warmups. So it, they could come out totally different in the match, but mm. I think those first seven points are, that's what we're playing into is what we saw in warmups and then kind of evaluating from there. Isn't it exciting when you see somebody warming up and just bouncing, like yeah. trying to like hit in the front half of the court and you're just going, 
please keep practicing that. Because, that. <laughs> like, I would love for you to bounce that steep because we should have a blocker up there. And like, this is yeah. how you're, you're training to go right into my block. Yes. Oh, love uh, that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause when you're in high school and college, like Jesus, these kids bounce and then you get wow. like 25, 26, 30. And you're just like, go ahead. Keep hitting that stupid swing. <laughs> I remember in college, like, We'd be warming up and call the coaches would be tossing like 50 50 balls. I'm like, that's cool, that looks really nice when nobody's up there. Yeah, <laughs> Good for you guys. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's like a, a confidence build that that does get right. you going a little bit to feeling good, but at some point, you can only get so many reps from a 50 50 ball hitting steep before right. you start hurting your actual game. Yeah, seriously. So, we were talking off camera a little bit about you're trying to learn how to transition as a leader. I think we're very alike in that you really pride yourself on a ton of hard work, you know, put your head down, ram your head into a wall a hundred times. I'll come out on top, you know, whatever you need to yeah. do, you just get it done. And you were saying that your college coach had led you said you lead by example, but you have to also lead with your voice and, mm -hmm. and your opinions and, and being able to not just have somebody watch you and hope that they notice and hope that they emulate you, but right. you actually have to encourage them to, to do that or to even take a, a strategical or psychological leadership position where you're helping somebody breathe or you're telling them what to do next. So can you, can you walk me through what this season has been like like right now we're in middle of september by the time the yeah. podcast people hear this might be might be november so had a pretty good season and mm -hmm. you're in a new role yes now so what's what's going on yeah it's been uh not the easiest transition for me just from a leadership standpoint because like i mentioned it's just it's not something that comes natural to me leading by example is super easy for me but when I have to be vocal, it's just, I don't know, there's times where I'm like, but if I'm asking my teammate to do this, you know, block this ball, and then I miss a dig, I've always had this weird, like, how can I get mad at her or put that on her if I'm not playing at my best? So yeah, I've been working a lot with my sports psych and just trying to figure out what that means and how I can step into this role as a leader. I'm playing with someone who's a lot younger than me, and this is her first year on the pro circuit. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been really exciting. It's been cool that I've been able to you know, step into this role and have to kind of practice it early on. But also like at the beginning of the season, she was still in college. So I was playing with a ton of different players. And I was like, you've played with a lot of people, so many different people. <laughs> I didn't know who I was going to play with, you know, every day of that week. And so it was very frustrating. But then does I that ever make you qu like, question your skills or abilities when you're like man i've played with so many people is it because there's something wrong or do you consider it like look how many people i get to play with or or, or are willing to play with me and give it a shot do you, does it go one way in your head for me it always messes with my confidence it's like yeah man i can't stick with somebody long term there's got to be something wrong with my game or my attitude or the way i present yeah. myself you know and so you're constantly trying to figure out what's wrong right. instead of just focusing heavier on your game and i'm like well you know what if i dig every ball and i side every ball out should be no question so let's right. just uh, right. I, like i'll go back to that like let me side out better and then mm -hmm. we'll figure it out honestly the two times so the beginning of the season 2018 and then the beginning of this year because i didn't have a partner right away 
I felt like I grew the most in my game because all I did was focus on me. I didn't have to worry about a teammate. And this year was a little different because I knew that I was going to play with Meg. It wasn't that I was looking and couldn't find a partner. It was that she had to finish school. And then we knew that when she was done, we were going to play together. So it was me just kind of playing with people until she was done. So that definitely didn't if anything, it just, it helped my mindset of like, I'm focusing on me. This is all I care about right now. And in those moments, I felt like I've grown the most. Like what? No, what, what is it grown uh, physically or just allowed you to be calmer in your head or? Both physically, mentally, because, you know, we're talking about leadership and every day I was on the court with somebody new and I had, you know, me and my coach. And even though Meg wasn't there yet, like we have coaching you right now. Uh, Scott Davenport. Oh, great coach. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a system we run. So it's like anytime someone new came in, I had to be like, this is, I need this at this time. This is the set we're running in this situation. Defensively, I was quarterbacking everything. Mm. This is what we're going to do. This is, you know, and we were playing against players that I've played against my whole career. So I know their tendencies and I know these things. So that was a really good learning experience for me talking about leadership and really stepping into that role so that when May came out, I was already practicing it and working on it. But isn't that, isn't that hard because you're okay. So, so you're playing with girls at a very high level, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're telling them, this is the system we are running. I know we're not playing together, but this Mm -hmm. is the system we're going to in practice. Is that just you being maybe bolder and more courageous than they are like where you don't run their system you run your system or were you picking players that you knew were excited you know to to play with you for that day how how did that go because i imagine when you're you want to practice the system that you're in and i know because i kind of hovered around john hyden for a long time Mm -hmm. and his partners and with his partners you know he he left evie here to teach the bigger guys john's system and like you have to be here because john moved to nashville and so they had to learn how to run that with guys that don't really run john's system but they're they have to with this new partner right so how how are you navigating that with somebody new playing your system versus playing theirs when you're almost equals yeah for sure i think john specifically runs a very his system is very specific to him i think I mean, we definitely have stuff that's specific to Meg and I, but it's also just like a general system. You know, when we're out of system, we want the ball pushed all the way up to the net. Okay. When we, you know. Um, Is there anybody who doesn't ask for that? I definitely, there's people that they want it up to the net, but sometimes they want it in the middle. Sometimes they don't want it all the way to the pin. Okay. Okay. There's definitely a wide range when it comes to that. Yeah. Cause the whole like juniors, like uh, set it half court or don't set me right. to the net when you're in trouble. And then you, right. you get to a qualifier and you're like, wait a second, everybody can dive off the court and set perfectly on the net. Yeah, like that's, exactly. I guess that's how we got to do it. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that stuff is always, it's always, I think it's going to be uncomfortable for people right at the start, but I also think it helps people just grow their game because they realize like, Oh, I can do this. And this does make sense in this situation, different stuff like that. So, you know, and the players that I was asking to come to practice, they're all professionals. So it's not like I'm asking them something that they can't do, you know? So yeah, it was, uh, but then, you know, and even like I played with Lauren, some tournaments, I played with M day in some tournaments and if they wanted something different, I would give that to them as well. You know, I'm not going to like completely force like, no, this is the only way I do it. It's like, this is the set that I want, but in this situation, if you want that, then I'll give that to you. 
Okay. So yeah. it's really about asking. It's more, it's less what you're setting, but more what you need as a hitter in various situations that like, yes. that it's important to discuss what you need and, and when you need a, a specific change or a specific location. So it's not, an, not necessarily always an entire system change, just a, right. this is how high my set is. This is how far off it is. Unless yeah. you're setting from the back half in that case, then we're going to go here and here. Yep, exactly. And I think too, you know, people would come to practice and they have no idea what they want. And that to Isn't me, that wild? Oh my I God. think is a problem. I'm like, wait, but <laughs> these things oh, come up. You do it in hitting lines and then yeah. and then you set a ball and they say, Yeah, that's perfect. What was perfect about it? Like was yeah. it because it was like that far off? Because it was inside, outside? So I like Adam Roberts getting to play with him was so much fun because he had this one yeah. statement when he would set you. He would set you and then say, Was that a seven or an eight? And how do I make it a ten? He didn't That's say awesome. rate it, you know. He, he yeah. didn't say was that a good set because then you get the generic yes or no answer, right? Or right. the or the even worse, like no, nah, that's fine. And right. Like oh my god, right. now I'm in now I'm in a relationship argument. Like yeah. if somebody says I'm fine, you know, we're in a bad spot. <laughs> <laughs> Those words are never good. <laughs> never good. Um, but like I love the way that he put it. Whereas was that a seven or an eight? how do I make it a 10? Like he said, all of that before he even said one word. And I've always said that is the best way to, to ask, like to start learning what set someone needs. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Those things are important. You know, it, I think at our level, there's a lot of people that have a big hitting window, but at the same time, it's like, but what is the perfect set for you? Cause that's what I'm going to try and get you every single time. And if I'm going to err, would you prefer me to err high? Would you prefer me to err inside? You know, those are conversations that even if I had someone out there for one day of practice, mm. we started practice with those conversations because it's important because you want each other to be able to play your best in that situation. And so you have those talks before you even touch a ball. The amount of times that I've switched partners, <laughs> you know, you always know that you go through all these same talks that are actually like very important. And until you have them, you don't actually know what people need and where. Right. So it's just like, you know, it's so many people play with so many partners that I'm just going to make something for everybody. And we did this where it's, uh, if, if you can see it on screen right now, it's better at beach.com forward slash partner profile. It's not a paid anything. It's okay. just literally a set of questions that you yeah. should ask your partner before you start playing with them. And it, it gets a little bit uncomfortable because it forces you to be exact with what is your favorite set? I, mm -hmm. I ask in this, in this little questionnaire, it says, no, no, how many feet off of the net is your favorite set? Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. do you like your setter? Do you like your set as a relationship from the setter or from the antenna? Or is mm -hmm. it just like a, like a fixed point? Because that's important. Some people are like always five feet off of you. And you're like, well, that's not always because, you know, if I'm at 10 feet or 15 feet, we're de it's definitely not going to be in that same spot. Right. And right. then it says, you know, how far from the setter or how far from the antenna. And then it comes with, of course, another 20 questions. But if you guys are ever interested in the most important questions to ask your partner, it's not complete. It never is. But it's a really great tool to have. So check out betteratbeach.com forward slash partner profile it's on the screen right now and we'll link it below but it's a great questionnaire to go through so that you don't have to go through those stupid conversations after you lose a point right <laughs> yeah seriously is there stuff on there too about like from a mental side if one of you is struggling what we, do you need from your partner uh, 
we have, I started this at the same time that I was going through the marriage counseling before we got married. We wanted to go to a therapist and be like, you know what, if I get a coach for volleyball, damn sure I'm getting a coach for the relationship for the rest of my life. Like somebody, somebody get me to my highest. And, uh, and so it was, there was a lot of like, you know, absolute turn-ons, absolute turn-offs. Like what's Mm -hmm. a word that just disgusts you when you hear it or, or an intonation that always turns you off. And it might've developed, you know, when you're a kid or somebody once mm-hmm. for me, if somebody ever looks at me and says, don't be lazy that, I mean, we're immediately not friends. I'll, I'll shut you out because I'm like, to me, that's like, you don't know a damn thing about me. Right. If, you, if you put the right. word lazy in my universe, yeah. uh-uh. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you should not put anything like that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, cause I promise you I, it won't be, but yeah, it, it talks about, what to do when I'm down. Uh, it asks you the best way to fire you up or to act before a match. Mm-hmm. Do you like to like put yourself under a towel and breathe or do you want to slam each other in the chest and get fired right. up? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a fun questionnaire. Um, yeah. It's cool, cool to go through. I took it's Tim Brewster fun. and Kyle through it. Kyle Friend okay. uh, yeah, when yeah. they started playing together and they loved yeah. it. And it was only because I was playing with Dave Lee for a practice and I was like hey let's let's learn each other's games again and let's go through this and Kyle yeah. and, and Tim loved it and uh David yeah. was like this is so important he's like teams right? don't do this guys don't do this and I was like yeah, yeah it's fun it can seem like the silliest things but you're like no in those moments it really matters like that could be a one to two point swing which could mean a match 13 15 you know yeah exactly yeah. what did you need from your partner when you guys <laughs> right you guys lost that match yeah. Oh man. Brandon, when we were playing together, like a couple of times, kind of during the serve toss, he finished a thought or made sure that I, that I had this in my mind during that. But that for me served as a complete distraction. Like I'm yeah. cued into the server and now I'm supposed to pick up information from somebody next to me. So right. I said, after the second time that happened, I was like, Hey, Brandon, whatever we have to talk about, we have to talk about way before this, the serve starts. You know, as soon yeah. as the ball's in that guy's hands, I can't have any words because I, I need to focus completely on passing. And so yeah. that fixed that that little micro problem there. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Communication. It's that yeah. simple. It's wild how important it is and how yeah. kind, of, kind of bad at it most people are. Seriously. And I think that's what comes along with leadership is there's been times that maybe I felt a certain way in a match or, yeah, there was something going on and I always hold it in. And that to me is like, you know, if I verbalize that to my teammate, she could either step up or maybe she's feeling the same way. And it's like, that is huge. Just the open communication can change the demeanor, can change the energy of a match or whatever. And then people have to learn how to communicate, right? It's it's not only mm-hmm. that you say it, yeah, but how do you put it? I share this story a lot, but Piotr, when 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 I finally beat Haydn and, uh, and got Theo, it was because Piotr said, Hey, I think I see a tendency when this is happening. I think he goes here when this is happening. I think he goes here. He didn't say, dude, stand wider or make sure you're covering the seam. Right. Mm -hmm. He said, I think this is happening when this happens. Didn't give me any instructions, but show like shared with me what he was seeing Mm -hmm. rather than telling me where to go. And that made me still feel comfortable and say, oh, all right. I'm cause I don't have any tendencies picked up right now. I'm like just yeah. out here scrambling and yeah. that little key helped us win that game. But I think right. it was because he put it in such a good way mm-hmm. that I was wide open to the rest of it. And of course, you know, I wanted to keep playing with him. So I was like, whatever you say, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, bro. Yeah. 
but yeah. it's, it's nice when you learn how to communicate things and yep. with, with various people. Yeah. How do people respond to certain communication? That's all part of being a leader. All the stuff that I'm learning and working on right now. What do you think if you had to announce like a, a biggest weakness that you, you know, that you've developed or something like that in terms of communication or leadership, would mm -hmm. it just be that you're just not ready and willing and wanting to talk? I don't think I do it purposefully. I think it's more of, oh, she probably sees it too, so I don't need to say it. Or, uh, yeah, something like that, where mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, or or I've already said that, so it doesn't matter. And I even went through it, you know, a few years ago. You feel like you're I, nagging them, right? And you feel like you're nagging them. You yeah, know, if you yeah. say it two or three times, you're like, no, she knows now she's going to get pissed at no, me because yeah. I said it the third time instead yeah. of, yeah, okay, go ahead. Or there's, yeah, like a few years ago when I was playing with Kim DiCello, we were in China and I was so sick before the match and I didn't tell her. So after the match, I was like curled up in a ball, like stomach hurt so bad. And she's like, why didn't you say anything? I'm like, she thought I didn't you were mad at her to like change how you were playing. I don't know, you know? Right. Yeah. You don't want them to have to lean on you to change their game. Yeah. I've been yeah. in that same situation where you're like, do I tell them? And then they feel like they have to take so much weight or they have to go on right. two more. But right. if you're a team, you do, you have to share it just because yeah. like, if you're for the first time, not talkative and not celebrating, she might randomly interpret it as Emily's pissed at me. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I did, but she is yep. pissed at me. And mm -hmm. then, then that turns her game off more than, than if you were just sick and she was just like, okay, I'll fight through this with you. Yeah, exactly. It's the littlest things. And that was definitely a learning experience for me. And it's been a game changer now, you know, cause there's times you're on the road and you're sick or you don't feel well or whatever's going on, you mm -hmm. know, it's, yeah, it's good to share those things with your teammate and hopefully they don't, you know, they don't overreact and like, oh, now I have to do this, this and this. But if you have that open line of communication from the beginning, they're not going to. It's going to be, you know, it's a two way street. You guys are helping each other in different scenarios. How like arrogant is, is the mindset to say like they can't handle this information or <laughs> you right. know, you're, you're making exactly. their future for them without, without even knowing how they're going to react. Yeah, absolutely. Partner dynamics. It's like a marriage, right? <laughs> it's way worse than a marriage. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, love, I love being married. Uh, I'm so happy. I'm comfortable in my marriage because I know she's not going to leave me. You right. know? <laughs> next weekend, she's not going to go run around. Some people don't have that comfort, which is like terribly yeah. sucks to them. But like, yeah. hey, I, I made a promise. I'm in this to the bitter end. Like we're we're yeah. going. And then that yeah. having that faith of like, you know, whatever I say, whatever I open up to, yeah, it's going to be a fight, but we're in this for life. Right. You know? And I was able right. to get that from my brothers. Like we, me and my brothers can get real pissed at each other and get into some uncomfortable yelling matches, but mm -hmm. we do that and we get through the fights early and fast Yeah. because it's like, you know, one time me and my brother were discussing how much time I should get with my nephews when I roll back into town from California, you know, when I go back to New York. I was like, what? Okay, so he's going to miss two hours of sleep. This is my only weekend here. And right. he was like, hey, dude, we have a life and a schedule. You can't just roll into town and change everybody because you don't have to deal with the next week of him being too tired to wake up for school. Right. And so we we're both coming from a good place, you know. Right. But we're right. really, really mad at each other. And so I stormed upstairs. I was like, let's get through this right now. You know, and we like yell at right. each other, yell at each other. Because I know that at the other end of that fight, like we're together for life. Right. Exactly. So you have that good confidence. And mm -hmm. if you could almost go into a lot more things with that confidence of 
it's okay to fight because we're still going to be together. You should fight and it's inevitable that you will fight with the ones that you love. And if you don't, it means you're kind of taken away from that relationship because you can't progress mm -hmm. without it. I totally agree with that. And I think that's with partnerships too. Like you don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to see eye to eye on stuff, but can you respect each other, work through it to where you're both getting what you want and you both are comfortable you know, in the situation and knowing that they're not looking other places. If you have a bad match, you shouldn't have to worry if they're going to jump ship. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I've been lucky enough. I've played with a decent amount of people, but I don't think there's ever been a situation where I was completely caught off guard. Like I'm out. You know, we've always kind of been on the same page because of that open communication. So yeah. I, I knew in a couple of moments, like, well, this is over. <laughs> there, there were a couple of tournament moments where yeah. I was just like, you can't like, Oh, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Before uh, the match finishes, you're just like, Oh, this is one of the last two matches we ever play together. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think sometimes in those scenarios is when you play your best because you're both checked out and you're like, well, nothing to lose now. Right. First of all, I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. You know, you're like, hey, if we can't get along, then I'm going to do my thing completely in 100%. You yeah. Know, and you, you almost stop relying on them. I think there are moments for defenders, especially, and blockers to stop making calls. To yeah. just say, you go up and whatever you see, you block or you try to stop them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that same thing back here. If yeah. we happen to leave a spot open because we saw a different thing, all right. But if we're both semi-decent at reading and mm -hmm. seeing what's happening and yep. we're both making those kind of moves or guesses into it, mm -hmm. then you're almost in a better spot than if you're making coordinated plays. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I, I find that especially in like grass and big court. It's yeah. play calls in big court are so stupid. Like you have to, right. <laughs> you have a right. mile to run and a mile to side out. So you might as well both go instinctual. Yeah, absolutely. I always give my blockers like, yeah, we have this play called, but if you read something else, you have the freedom to throw your hands in there or you mm -hmm. see something different. And if they score, they score. As long as we're both on the same page, it's like, hey, I read this. That's my bad. You know, or I read this and it was wrong. My bad. No big deal. And we're back to it. I love those conversations. What did yeah. you see? Sorry, I saw his elbow drop. So I jumped on it. Great. Yeah. Cool. Like I, if you have a good reason for what you did, yeah. you're in a good spot. Because I probably would have done the same thing if I saw that. Absolutely. Yeah. I hate when people talk about stealing, but like, oh, you stole my hard driven cross dig. And it's just like, yeah. you mean he went for a block? You know, right. if he misses by right. half an inch, he's a half inch away from a point immediately. I'm just yeah. like, hey, if you read it, fully commit. Mm -hmm. Like if that's what you want to do, just make sure you do it full and we're good. Yeah. And if it's or, wrong, that's wrong. Or defender, just make sure that you call that. Like I, I call that a, a hook play. So this is like <laughs> one of the plays where I say, hey, you're blocking line, but you are showing him that you're blocking line. You're going to reach as high as you can. You have zero responsibility for hard cross. I want him one-on-one -on -one yeah. and hard driven, right? Like yeah. your job is to reach high and touch the high line because I'm not even going to really focus on the high line, but right. I want him one-on-one -on -one hard driven. So you let him go. But that's a yeah. very specific play call of against... I'm not going to do that against like Taylor Sander. Like, right, right. Take my head off. <laughs> Bounce it 10 feet in front of me. Line, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but guys who are hitting high and flat, like, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I'll take them one on one, a hard driven. Yeah. So, absolutely. But that, that's got to be a specific play call, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I like the, I always like, I kind of do this and this. So I, I, I show fists and then line, fists and then line. Like, yeah. hey, your, your ball line. first. Yep. 
and then if they're like offer or if they're uncomfortable, then, then you switch to the line ish. Yeah, absolutely. I love that too. Like mm-hmm. always ball first, no matter what we're doing. Yes. If the set gets tight, what it like plays off and you freaking grab ball. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the worst feeling as a blocker when you like run a four or a three when the ball was sitting like on <laughs> top of the net and you dive out of the way and watch somebody yes. bounce it and you're like, oh, why did I oh. stick with the play call? <laughs> I know. It's so hard. Yeah. I think it's harder as a blocker. Meg and I played the Laguna Open last weekend and did some split blocking. And I'm just like, yeah, when I'm blocking, I'm like fully committing to what we're calling. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll tell you to go ball first. Maybe I should listen to that. <laughs> so funny. Ryan Darty had a story about that that he told like our campers one time. He's yeah. like, yeah, when people are telling me to block the line, it was like, make sure that you're protecting the line. So he was, he's like, I, I had to figure out that something was wrong because I was over by the antenna watching somebody hit the middle of the court like sideways. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he's like, I had the line. Line was covered. <laughs> he obviously got a little better at that yeah (laughs) let's talk arm swing you said you've made some changes so let's ask one of the fun questions what are you doing differently now that people told you for most of your career or in juniors or in college that you have said "Uh -uh, uh-uh i'm actually gonna try this so so what's changed from what you were taught to to how you're applying it now like one of the things with your arm swing I would say it's just different from indoor to beach because okay. I've worked with Scott since the very beginning of my beach career. And that's one of the first things we worked on when I started working with him in 2014. I tend to have a big draw and my arms, I have very long arms. And so my swing becomes my arm becomes late, like my hip and my body will go and then my arms late. So we've been working on just keeping it more compact. And it's more of thinking of like squeezing your shoulder blade than like drawing your elbow back. Oh, so it's like, it's like a rubber band. Like that's how he explains it is that, you know, you pull a rubber band tight, it's going to want to let go. So as soon as you're leaving the ground, you draw that shoulder blade back. And by the time you're in the air, your arm wants to release anyway. I like that, the visual that I got, because it's kind of similar. Like I would pump my elbow back. The the muscles in the back of my shoulder would flex and tighten Mm -hmm. and there would be no movement in my shoulder blade. And then I got to work with uh, Isaac from, from Torque VB, Isaac Newball. Fantastic with arm swings. Yeah. Um, He really opened up my wrist away to like, now I actually get kills down the line, which yeah. wasn't happening for them. But we, yeah. we talked a lot about how the shoulder blade and the rhomboid act and drawing mm-hmm. that down. And I think some people open, but when you like open your shoulders or you spread your elbows, you kind of flex the back of your shoulder a little bit instead of, I know I look like a chicken or something, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but squeezing the shoulder blades while still having a loose arm. And that's really right. difficult. Some people can't do that. Like if you're right. sitting at home right now, can you squeeze your shoulder blades together and still have completely loose arms and like wiggle them around? That's a good test because a lot of people squeeze their shoulder blades and their upper arms. And now the whole thing is rigid. And when it's right. rigid, you get no power. You're not drawing like back with your elbows, but you're still yeah. kind of getting that position, but mm-hmm. just more from a shoulder blade activation rhomboid. Yeah. And I'm not even worried. We don't worry about where the elbow is because it's going to be different for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. You don't have to draw it high, you don't have to draw it low. It's whatever happens when you pull that shoulder blade back. And then there's no hesitation on the swing. 
So as soon as you're leaving the ground, your shoulder blades back, and then you're through the ball. Most of the time before blockers, hands are even in position. So that's what's so great about this arm swing is that it happens so fast that most blockers aren't even going to be in position before you contact the ball. So it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter how high you're hitting over the net because your arm swing is going to be done by the time they're fully in position. So then are you, are you kind of hitting on your way up or like you're starting your swing before you hit the top of your jump? Yes. So I'm basically the way I try to do it. And it's not always, it doesn't happen as early as you think it's going to happen, but I'm starting my arm swing on my step close. So by the oh. time I'm in the air, I'm through the ball and it's done. Okay. It obviously, it doesn't happen that early, but that's what it feels. That's what it should feel like. Okay. So that's kind of, yeah. So if we watch you in super slow motion, maybe it wouldn't seem right. like that, but to get to cue you to doing that. Yeah. Where like yeah. your, your coach is saying, start swinging when you're on the ground. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Yep. I like that. There's a bunch of weird stuff that you tell athletes where you're like, this isn't actually what's going to happen, but this is what right. you have to hear to make it happen. Exactly. Dude, and that's for me. Like I've been playing this sport now for eight years and it's like, I still need those cues and to feel like that, you know, to make the arm swing accurate. And then along with that is our finishing points. So I play on the right side. If I'm going to swing line, I finish all the way through to my right hip. If I'm swinging for the seam, I'm swinging all the way through my legs. And then if I'm swinging angle, shoulder, hip, everything goes together and I'm finishing down to my left hip. You're still giving those cues. I, For me, I found that when I gave the cues of like which pocket to finish in, mm -hmm. I found that a lot of people were accelerating and, you know, Maybe it's there. I do a ton of coaching and a bunch of different athletes, but I see people who are tight. So they're, they're a little too tight in their chest to actually get their shoulder blades back. So first it's huge mm -hmm. mobility and like downward dog stretches yes. that they need to get for a proper arm swing. Um, right. where they're like, I can't hit the ball. It's like, well, we're in for two months of mobility work and then we'll start working on your arm swing. <laughs> yeah. yeah first but, things first. but when I gave some players the cue of which hip or pocket to finish in, I found that they started accelerating their hand after contact instead of like loading behind the body and swinging up and then almost relaxing until their pocket mm -hmm. have you ever gotten that cue to finish up instead of where you're finishing like down by your hips no or you just never Not needed it finish up but again, like, yeah, I think everyone's cues are different, right? So it's not, I think that's something for me that just doesn't, doesn't stick or wasn't necessary. This is like a cool talk. So for those of you who, who listen to multiple episodes, if you're looking for, I'm not saying converse, and we're definitely not saying that either Try or Phil or Emily are wrong, but we are saying that yeah. this is why coaches exist and that they can have different athletes hear different things because we had conversation with Try and Phil where they're both like, I had to learn how to swing up and stop finishing. And you'll see some of Tri's hardest hits. He like kind of stops with his hands still above his head. But if you have an athlete that doesn't need to hear that because she's still operating high and she's becoming more accurate with a certain cue, then that's the cue that that athlete needs to hear. So when, when I get all of your guys hate mail and you say, well, you said this in this video and then you just posted a reel that says the opposite. Yeah. On Monday and Friday, you might need to hear two different things to get to the same place. Absolutely. <laughs>
And I think too, it's, uh, I had shoulder surgery back in 2010. If I go up and stop my arm swing, I feel like that puts a lot of pressure in my shoulder joint. So I don't want to stop like all the momentum I just created. I want to keep going and swing all the way through. Let it relax all the way through so that you don't fight the stop with the back of your shoulder. I think sometimes too, coaches say things a different way. I think that's kind of what you're just saying. We might say it a different way, but it doesn't mean that it's completely different. It's just another way of saying it. And some, you know, it makes sense to some players and then other players need to hear it a different way. Like even when I'm coaching, I try to use different cues that work for different players. I love what I'm coaching and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. like, hey, make sure you get your hands closer together earlier. And then I hear somebody listening and I go, stop listening. Yeah, that was that was for him right now, not for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you have to like shut it off because you're like I'm trying to get you to do the opposite, so you meet somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. That should be, I think, the mark of a good coach that you know you you have different tools and different cues for different athletes who are in mm-hmm. different places. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think the best coaches in the world can work with multiple different athletes and get the same result because they are willing to adapt and adjust to what different athletes need versus this is the way to do it and this is the only way to do it. And if you don't do it, then it's wrong. You're, you're limiting the people you can coach. Like yes. if you can only find people who match your system, okay, mm-hmm. but then you better be the best damn recruiter in the entire world because you got to fit exact molds to you. So you can be successful that way as a coach or as a teammate, right? You can recruit only players who are like silent behind you because that's how you play most comfortable. But then you might not get to play with April, you know, and she'll she'll make some noise back there. (laughs) I'm just going to take a moment from the show, guys. You know, we're talking a lot about arm swing. And if you guys are interested we do have an online course it's recorded but of course if you join our membership program where we get to coach you twice a week and you take videos and we study your arm swing and we give you all the feedback you need literally you post videos you post questions on our private facebook group and you actually get feedback within 24 hours from one of our coaches. And we have one course that's very specific. It's called Fix Your Arm Swing in 21 Days. It comes with exercises, mobility protocol, uh, throwing and swinging exercises that you can do. And of course, if you're a member, then you get to post those videos. And you can find that if you're listening, it's betteratbeach.com forward slash fix your volleyball arm swing. I know that's long. We'll get a better one, but betterbeach.com forward slash fix your volleyball arm swing. If you really want to work on your arm swing mechanics, it's a 21 day course with stretches, workouts, and drills that you can do to adjust that. And again, if you're a member, we actually work with you on your videos where you get to post it, we get to see it. And so you're getting AVP, FIVB, and um, certified strength and conditioning specialists who are going to help you with your technique. So jump in there, uh, betterbeach.com forward slash fix your volleyball arm swing. It's a fun course. I, you know, I, you learn a lot from a lot of coaches and then like I think you and me the conversations that we have at the AVP and then when you're fighting for the national team that level Mm -hmm. those are conversations that never even existed we didn't come close to touching on some of the things we talk about on the pro tour never talked about that in at the open level in New York in New Jersey you know there's still friends I have that that are playing at the open level and kind of dominating but you get to a qualifier and it becomes really brutal you know and it's like wait, you don't, you're doing this well in this region, but the strategical conversation and the technical conversation is no, it's not even on the same planet as what we talk about on the pro tour or the FIVB tour. And so that's why we had to start creating these courses and why we did the YouTube channel. Cause I was like, if I never left New York, I never would have heard 
any of these keys that have, you know, made me the player I am and maybe help a bunch of other athletes in different ways. Right. Absolutely. It's awesome. Cause with beach volleyball blowing up so much too, if you're not in a coastal area, it's nice to know that you have access to this stuff now. So like back to the arm swing mechanics, but more specifically things that you were told or you worked on early in your career that you had to discard as a pro or, or modify. Do you have any more of those? I would say something that I had a very hard time with transitioning to the beach as a defender was being okay, giving up a good shot or, you know, you're not going to be able to cover everything. And so from, coming from indoor, it's like nothing hits the floor. You no, know, then I came out to the beach and I was like, no, that was just a good shot. And I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I should be able to touch everything and read everything. You want me to not be mad that I just lost a point? Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is happening? So that's something that took me a while to kind of be okay with um, and work through. I think sometimes even now I'm like, yeah, it was a good shot, but yeah. I think I can still get it. <laughs> right. Well, I more I think about it now, it's a stat collect, which I didn't think of in my entire 20s of mm -hmm. They hit this shot. Okay. They were in that position. They had that serve. They hit that shot. So instead of now me losing a point, this team gave me a piece of information and it's up to my, oh. it's up to me to like glean that information and, and see what I got out of it. Where did, you know, let's trace it backwards. Okay. They hit a high line from like six feet from the antenna. Why did they hit from the six feet from the antenna? Cause I served them right in the middle of their chest. All right. Now, next right. time, let's right. see if they hit a high line from a different area on the court, or do they go for a, a shot or, or like a cutty or a hard swing because they're in the middle. Right. But it's not, it's not losing. It's collecting information to, to use later, I think. Definitely. That's so important. And that's the chess game that we were talking about earlier, right? Like you're just learning as you're going. And those, like, that is also the communication you, to you need to have with your teammate. Like, hey this, this, and this happened. Let's see if they do it again. Server here again. Let's see what we get. And being okay with maybe they do something different and you're like, all right, perfect. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, so now it's 50, 50. You might be right. Yeah. I might be right. Let's see what yeah. happens for the next three. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I think another big thing for me was defensively my posture. I think a hmm. lot of times I would get dug in, even knowing. What do you mean when you say dug in? Dug in, like getting just kind of like sitting deep into my defensive stance okay. and wait, like waiting for a hit to happen okay. instead of being a little more free and mobile, especially in a scenario where they can't hit hard. It's like, okay, I'm going to stand up a little bit in my posture and know that I'm ready to run either way. I don't have to be so dug in for a hit. Recognizing situations. And then what do you change? Do you, do you change the, the tension of your legs and upper body? You said you stand up a little a little bit yeah. when when you're more ready to run the, the cue that i give to players at like camps and clinics is your approximate defensive height like your serve receive height should be hands on your knees and then release your hands without moving any part of your body for defense mm -hmm. i say all right now let's put your elbows on your thighs right? yeah and that's like a good depth to play defense in but what else are you changing in your posture if you think they're more likely to shoot versus hit or or vice versa are you, are you more forward are you more backwards or uh, i definitely like chest up for sure uh chest up and just like maybe coming out of my squat an inch or two knowing okay. that i have to be able to run either way with my chest high yeah because you do need to be at that you know just above 90 degrees to be at max power yeah yep. right because like, if we yep. think about squatting 
actually from, from, from a box where our knees are at 90 degrees, mm-hmm. we'll probably produce, we'll be able to move. If we have the same weight, we'll move it slower off of that box from a 90 degree bend than we would from like a quarter squat where we can right. explode immediately. You know, what's interesting is when a lot of people lift, they only squat to that one depth. In my workout routines, we work every depth possible so that I still have power and I still have the quickness out of no matter what, how deep or shallow my squat is. I've done versions of a workout where I do a 10 count down and my partner can tell me when to pop. They tell me when to go so that I'm almost always ready to generate max speed. And if they don't say anything by the time my ass gets to the grass, then okay, you know, fine. Then I'll, then I'll pop once I'm down there. But how do you apply? Are you doing it with box squats? Are you saying, Hey, we're doing one set of quarters, one set of halves, one set of fulls, or how do you incorporate? Is it different days, the same workout, but different sets or every rep? It depends. So I have a strength coach and if I'm with him, he's the one telling me like we could be doing you know, squats for 30 seconds. And he's telling me what depth to go to each rep. Um, Or if I'm on my own, it's like, you know, if I have to do, I'll say like 10 squats in each position. So then I'm hitting three to five different positions of each squat. I like that. Yeah. And how crucial is it? Like blockers who sometimes you can load full, you can like grab the sand and jump. Sometimes they'll run like a jump set and you have to shuffle and just chuck your hands up there Mm -hmm. with a less than a quarter jump. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the same for blockers. Our trainer is very specific with how he trains beach volleyball players and each individual. So same thing, like as a defender, you know, I'm more in my defensive stance. I still do the, we call it for me, the jumping stance because I'm not necessarily a blocker, but it's the same position that a blocker would be in. And then, yeah, the blockers do their stuff in a more narrow stance, like they would be blocking. I also think it's important not to just do it from box squats. Cause in college, our team, we did it on like box squats where we, we sat on a quarter. Oh, yeah. But it's like, yeah, but you have to learn how to rebound out of right. that as well. Right. And sometimes people use that rocking motion when they're, mm-hmm. when they're sitting on a box and they do a squat and it's like, yep. it's not how this is designed. You're not supposed yeah. to be rocking into it. You're supposed to have full tension, like have your butt or your thighs feather touch, whatever box it is, yep. fire from there, not, yep completely relax, sit down, let your spine relax. And then that you're increasing injury at that point too. Oh yeah, absolutely. We do all variations of it. Then drop fast, up slow, drop slow, up fast. And you're catching, you know, in each different position. I like that. I, I don't think a lot of people talk about that much, the different yeah. height, different positions and, and where to go from. Yeah. But uh, one of the guys, one of the accounts that I follow, Squat University, I think he's fantastic. And if people here have not subscribed to Squat University on like squat underscore university, I think on Instagram, he's just, he's so great. If you're into lifting fitness and sports and physical therapy, he helps you solve your Mm. pains. But the 10 second squat, he was interviewing Mm. one of the world's greatest strongmen. And he's like, one of the first things I put people through is a 10 second squat, 10 seconds down, 10 seconds up so that you understand and you sit in every moment of your squat and you know where everything should be aligned and the tension that should be there at every moment. Because a lot of people, they'll hit the bottom and they kind of like skip through that phase because they've generated enough energy, you know, instead of feeling it, go do a 10 second down, 10 second up squat Mm -hmm. underweight and see what that feels like. It's a nightmare, but it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I believe it. (laughs) It's a good pain. (laughs) 
such a good pain. It's so uncomfortable. You realize how weak you are in, in certain places. You're like, it shouldn't be this wobbly. Right. Oh yeah. I'm sure. We're about to start, uh, October 1st, we're starting, uh, our 21 day foundations program again. So we do like a 21 day health and fitness challenge, uh, for anyone oh, nice. who signs up. And then that leads into our 60 day max vertical first 21 days. It's a workout at minimum, a mobility workout every day, but okay. then we give like a hydration challenge. Uh, we give a, a food like try this type of challenge. Yeah, we got to have a, a gallon of water a day, but the first piece of homework, and, and I'll give it to you, maybe you can do it for a week, but yeah. it's as soon as you wake up, you have a full glass of water immediately. Like that has to be number one on your docket every day. And then yeah. from there, the first thing you do after that drink of water is you go and you do your mobility. So like the first 25 minutes of every morning are covered. And some people hate having to wake up early, but we get a big enough group where we all support each other. And we're like, yeah. Hey, waking awesome. up was crap today, but I did it. You know? <laughs> and we're not allowed to have coffee until, so we do uh, water in the morning, then mobility, then you have to uh, journal. And, okay. and we have like, prompted questions to get you through your week and through your day and sort your day out. Yeah. And then we have a contrast shower. Oh, nice. After you've woken yourself up with your own body and with temperature and water, then you're allowed to have your first caffeine or food. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's yeah. fun. It's a cool challenge. People love it. Oh, really? And like we get those initial like vertical bursts, like in three weeks, some people gain like two, three inches on the verticals just yeah. because we're firing their engines again. Right. Most people don't realize that you get a ton a vertical increase if you just stay consistent no matter what you're doing right programs like that the challenges and stuff that get you off your ass and they say hey we're gonna move with you every day we're gonna keep you accountable and so yeah really boost it it's fun to see those results and it's a cool program and i did it because i needed it after my broken foot i need a super sped up program to right. get me like okay my foot's good to go now i can jump on it but now my body has to get used to being athletic again and i need it to happen fast without like kind of wrecking myself mm -hmm. um so I chose a very lightweight, like all of the movements, those three weeks yeah. are not designed to get you strong. They're just designed to get you ready to be strong. Gotcha. Very cool. Have you done personal training? CSCS? Is that a, is that part of your background as well? Yes. I was a personal trainer uh, for four years. So my first four years on tour, I would see anywhere from like nine to 13 clients a night after training all day. And it yep. was brutal. In there. Yeah. So that was an extra five to six hours on my feet. As a personal trainer, you're, you know, you're spotting your clients, you're showing them exercises and I do love it, but it was just a lot. So I actually, I unfortunately let my certification run out, but yeah, you still get the education and those certifications yeah. are people who like can make money. They're the national strength and conditioning organization or NASM. Yeah. It's a group of guys and girls who said, Hey, we know enough about this topic. Let's create a book and let's make people pay to read the book and, yeah. and we'll give them a piece of paper. You don't necessarily <laughs> yeah, exactly. need it. Yeah. If you just pay attention, it's sort of like when, you know, people go to yeah. college, some people really do need college. Some people need experience. Right. Absolutely. You know, so there's yeah. some for everybody. Well, yeah. if you ever want to do that same work and, and coach some volleyball, we got an online coach opportunity where you can just do two hours a day and never be on your feet so well that sounds lovely we might have let to us know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i think i could handle it's a lot yeah. of fun and everybody's super yeah. thankful and everything. i've kept it for an hour and a half but is there anything else that you wish you knew when you're at that qualifier slash pre-qualifier stage that mm -hmm. you think would have propelled your game or saved you a season or a couple of years if you could have just applied this one thing 
earlier. Like you thought you heard it too late and you were just like, man, I wish somebody had told me this five years ago. It would have saved me a thousand points. I would say the biggest thing for me is investing in a sports psych. I never used one until maybe three or four years ago. And I just feel like that's helped me a ton because volleyball is so mental more so than a physical sport. I think for me personally, at least, I think there's just so much that can go on. You can get stuck, you know, looking out and seeing everyone else's success and comparing yourself and just kind of get wrapped up in the whole volleyball world. So for me, it was finding a good sports site, one that I mesh really well with. Was there like an interview process? I mean, most people probably don't know where to even find one or begin. And then it also should be, yeah, almost interviewee. So I've used three different sports psychs and the one and kind of, so the first one I used was we, I did it with my teammate. So I found him through my teammate. She was working with them already. And then USA Volleyball has one that they provide for athletes. And then Scott, my coach, has a guy that he, you know, the teams he's worked with has used. Is it your uh, No, his name no. is uh, Lee Hancock. Yeah. yeah, I've heard his name. Yeah, yeah. So I've used him now for, I think, the last three years. And he, it was just the best fit for me. You know, yeah. he, in the very beginning, it was him, it, like us just kind of sitting down and him getting to know me, how I operate, all that kind of stuff. And him giving me homework, you know, podcasts I have to listen to, books I have to read. It's great. Yeah, just kind of learning. And so now now that we've been in it for three years together, it's so nice because I can trust him with my life. And there's just, he's been there for three years. So he knows, you know, I went through the last Olympic qualification and just through a bunch of different partnership changes and coach changes and different stuff. So um, he's helped me through all that. And you know, helping me navigate how to be the best leader I can be and how to be the best teammate I can be. And I think that's something even back in college, I wish I would have used. I, I'm pretty sure our school had one. I just never took advantage of it. And yeah, I think it's helped me more than anything. Isn't it weird when, we, when we're inside our, our head and we're like, well, what, what mental changes could possibly produce physical and wind and win winning changes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like physically you're like, Oh, I get a trainer because I can see my biceps growing or, you know, my my glutes are firing now. A coach, you know, a technique coach, you'd be like, man, spent two weeks with him and now I'm detonating on balls and my shoulder doesn't hurt at all because I changed my technique. But what changes came consciously, you know, when, when Mm -hmm. you were working with your sports psych, what, what changes did you feel in game or in practice? Him giving me tools in certain situations so it was like if i felt myself spiraling or getting frustrated you know he helped me learn kind of how my brain works and how i operate like Mm. what i needed to think about in that scenario to get out of it and one of the big things was a 15 second rule because you always have you know you don't have a lot of time in between points yeah so 15 second rule say i shank a ball I have five seconds to be pissed off, frustrated, whatever emotion I want to feel. Five seconds of what happened, like how can I fix it? And then the last five seconds is, all right, I'm back into serve receive, on to the next task. So it's for me, it's like I always want to like push emotions down and act like they're not there and try not to feel them. But I now I get five seconds to do that. 
What do we do with our emotions? We put them in our muscles. (laughs) Exactly. Power through. We're not really there. (laughs) Talk deep down with the rest of all the crap in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was just, you know, him showing me how to use those tools in those situations and how to be a good teammate and how to lean on my teammate. Cause I go very internal. So he's helped me open up that communication and know uh, like I can lean on my teammate. It doesn't have to be just me in my head all the time. That speaks to me a lot. I'm the type of person that will take everything on my shoulders and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and intentionally try to like take weight off of it. I remember I was a player coach in Sweden, like my pro indoor team when we had a, a 20 year old opposite who physically wasn't quite ready yet. And I thought to myself, we need a big swing. And as the coach and, and the player, I was like, hey, we're going to set me or we're going to set Mike, you know, mm-hmm. because I wanted to protect Axel's emotions and, and his confidence for the next yeah. season, right? It was a big okay. moment. I was like, I actually don't want him to take the last swing and feel like he's, he's not competent or that, right. you know, he's, he's a failure on game point. So let's right. not put him in that situation yet. Let's, let's have him keep growing confidence he interpreted it as you had zero faith in me. You know, mm. you you took it upon yourself to say that I couldn't handle this situation. Nothing has, there are very few things that have stuck with me more as a coach than yeah. me assuming he couldn't handle it. And so like working the strategy so that we took it off his plate and m- made the tougher plays on somebody else. And I never thought for a second he would interpret it like that, but right. I'll put some the crap on my shoulders because I'm like, I can handle that. But then, yeah. then you never let your teammate get involved. Right. You know, yeah. and it's a team. Absolutely. I like that. Those are good tools mm-hmm. to have mentally. I, I started working with Headspace for a little while and just yeah. listening to Headspace, the app in the car where he talks about quiet, calm confidence and then focusing on your breathing. Just for the first time, doing nothing but focusing on your breathing. You know, I'm in serve, receive. I am the most comfortable person on earth now just because of a few episodes of, of a meditation program where I just yeah. repeat this same thing for myself. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, serve receive has, has never been better because just, all right, throw that out now. And just knowing that you're quiet, calm, confident, you know, you don't yeah. need to be raging to, to show off your, your confidence, right. but you can just like chill and know that everything's going to be all right, that you're going to do well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that kind of reminds me of, Something else he's taught me is that going into every game or match isn't going to be the same. Now, there's times that if I'm feeling really anxious and like getting kind of hyped up to play, sometimes I'll listen to slower music to kind of calm my nerves. Hmm. And then if I feel like I'm a little sluggish and I'm having a hard time getting going, then I'll listen to a little like more upbeat to get myself going. Oh, that's smart. Instead of having like your your pregame playlist, you have your yeah. You know, yeah. kind of almost three selections of a, of a playlist, yeah. depending it's on where, where you're at. Yeah. And I thought that was always weird. It's like, shouldn't it be the same? So you feel the same going in every time. And it's mm-hmm. like, but your emotions and mentally and physically, you're not always going to feel the same. So what do you need in that moment to help you perform? I feel like such an idiot for never having thought about that. Because <laughs> you, know, you. <laughs> you can hear the exact same thing with the exact same intonation at two different times in your life. And one of them, you'll want to like take somebody's heads off. And, and the yeah. other, you're like, yeah, man, absolutely. Right. Just because you're in a different mental state. And absolutely. so to say that, you know, 
you're going to be in the same mental state. So you need the same exact music every time or the same process for your pregame, whatever it is. There is that mix of, no, I should have a routine. Routines create consistency or there's that changing mental state because we are changing beings. Now I need two playlists. Big Booty Mix 2022. I mean, you're still going to stay at the top, but. uh... (laughs) That's right. All right. I'll get some Anya or something. Perfect. (laughs) If anybody wants wants to reach out to you or get in touch or follow you, what what websites, uh, social media, any email that you want to share? Should they get in touch with you? You're too busy training. Um, Or where, where can they just learn more about you and maybe reach out to connect? I'm pretty basic when it comes to all that stuff. So I only do social media and really only Instagram. So it's at eStock2. Feel free to shoot me a message. I feel like I'm usually pretty good at responding. Sometimes it might take a few days, but I will get back. If you have any questions, volleyball. Workout wise is always a little tough because what works for me isn't going to work for everybody. But yeah, any questions or whatever, I'm happy. Happy to answer. Happy to be a resource for you guys. eStock2. Yeah, E-S-T-O-C-K-2 on Instagram. Go ahead. Make sure you guys give her a follow. Follow her career. And speaking of career, do you have any big events coming up that you're planning on that we can watch and uh, cheer and support? Uh, Yes, we go to, we leave in about a week and a half for the Paris Elite 16 event. How sick is that? Oh, I'm so fired up. We were like the last team in, so just made it. So we're freaking excited. Uh, So we have that. And then I think we come home for a week and then I think we're traveling for about five weeks. What? Why? Yeah, we have, because we're going to do the Challengers. Oh, the Challenger series. A couple of Dubai events, South Africa, Brazil, Egypt might still be in there. I'm not sure. All the fun places. All (laughs) All the places, yeah. So we're still rolling. We're it feels like we're only about halfway through season right now. So that's bonkers. It's crazy. That's bonkers. Absolutely crazy. But cool. Yeah, we're excited. It's a it's a new journey, and Meg and I are fired up. Scott and Chris are coaches, and so we're ready. Nice. I have one more unique question before we run out. Yes. Who or what would be your dream sponsor? If there's a company out there that exists and maybe you name them and they're like, they want their highlight athlete because they need marketing, you know, they need somebody to represent them. Name that company product mission. There are so many, but I would say top of my list is Aviator Nation. Aviator Nation. What's that? You know, Okay. It's a clothing company. Okay. They're fantastic. I love, it's all American made. So that's one of the biggest things for me. I love American-made products. The softest, most amazing materials are used for their products. And they're just, the the story behind Paige is the owner of the company. And she just, it, her story is really cool. And how she developed the company and how it's blown up now. There's stores in a lot of different um, states. And Aspen's one of her favorite stores, which I'm from Colorado. So cool. You know, there's just a lot in common there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Paige, if you're listening, 
<laughs> please be you listening. have your rock star <laughs> right here if you guys know Paige, give her a call tell her to I listen will wear to your product <laughs> day in and day out <laughs> <laughs> on the court we don't care give me leather yeah. jackets and i'll wear aviator sunglasses i don't care if i bleed from the eyes <laughs> i don't even care i will wear a winter jacket in my sport i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> uh emily it's so nice to talk to you yes you too thank you yeah thanks for coming on that was gem of a talk because we touched on a lot between leadership yeah. communication partner problems partner solutions arm swing uh and and then you know get getting really to tackle like a winning mindset and the, and the sports psych behind it there's mm-hmm. this in itself has been an absolute masterclass for people to listen to so guys if you enjoyed this episode you're not done here after here i if there's a like button like it but share it and send it to somebody who wants to hear uh, about Emily's journey from arm swing, from communication with your partner to sports psychology. Go ahead and share it. Give it a a rating if you know how to do that. I don't even know how to do that, but I hope you guys do. (laughs) Um, And and definitely share it around uh, because I think this this in itself is definitely a a really cool masterclass. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you again. Hope you guys enjoyed. And again, reach out. Reach out on Instagram if you have any questions. Cool. Have fun in Paris. Thank you. (laughs) All right. See you, Emily. Bye.